welcome to that shady buffalo podcast a podcast about unimportant things that for some reason are important to us this week on the podcast we're talking about star wars or just star wars but to most of us star wars a new hope but to those of you that saw it i don't know when when, when was the name changed like probably in the 70s or probably in the 80s the movie came out in 77 carson do well, you have it, any it, idea it changed when uh they were planning the prequels so like in the 90s yeah Okay, so spoiler alert for Carson and I's guest, Riley Brzezinski. Riley, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. I'm glad you guys finally had me on the podcast. I know it's, it's been four whole episodes. Well, by the time this comes out, it'll be more like seven or eight, but it's been long enough. But here you are. And yes. we've already broken our rule. We said no spoilers. And I just, we, you know, Riley kind of spoiled that he was going to be on the podcast by talking but it was very valuable information we, we needed to have it so so yeah we're talking about star wars a new hope fourth movie in the canonical uh series of or the saga of the star wars films and the fourth one that we're going to talk about uh and as we always do I, I like to get some background information on our guests and kind of how they came to the star wars fandom and the movies and anything outside of the movies um, as well as just the, the movie that we're talking about in particular. So, Riley, what's your like background in terms of how you came to know and love Star Wars? Um, well, with a lot of people who didn't grow up in the 80s, <laughs> I was introduced to Star Wars. Well, a lot of people say they were introduced to Star Wars by the first movie they watch. Yeah. And that usually that, that's what people say when that question's asked. But I think... Uh, people grow up with star wars even before they know that they're movies in a yeah. way um uh, technically I, my introduction to star wars was through marketing and toys <laughs> and lightsabers and yeah. disney collectibles yeah uh, back when they used to do their collaborations with star wars um before they so owned star wars yeah before they owned star wars like uh you go to disneyland and yeah. there'd be like Star Wars advertisements with Mickey Mouse as Luke Skywalker or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think that was my introduction is before I was even cognitive, <laughs> kind of knowing the Star Wars universe, which is kind of crazy in my opinion of yeah. like a lot of people knowing what Star Wars is without knowing what it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They're aware of it without knowing all the details. Yeah, yeah. I was familiar with the world before I even watched the movies, you know? That's pretty cool. Yeah. So going from there, uh, do you remember, like, did, did you watch them in a certain order? Um, did someone in particular show them to you, or did you come to them by yourself? Well, like, how'd, that, how'd that come to be? Well, um, like a lot of people, uh, my dad grew up in the 70s, 80s, so he was a big Star Wars fan, and yeah. Uh, he wanted to show me all the movies and uh, uh, I, I had to wait till I was 10 to watch them because apparently they were too graphic and violent with uh, the lightsabers and blasters. So I had to wait quite a long time. Um, I remember there was one time where I snuck watching episode one <laughs> and I could, I, well, cause I was, I was too young at the time yeah. and uh, I was really bored by it, but I knew it, I should be liking it. <laughs> so I, I just told everyone I really liked it, even though yeah. I didn't understand any of it. So 
<laughs> Anyways, I watched half the movie. I got bored. I stopped watching it. And I told everyone I loved the movie. So yeah. uh, later on when I could actually watch Star Wars, I watched A New Hope. That was the first one I, I watched like yeah. fully all the way through. And then I watched five and six right afterwards because I loved it so much. Nice, nice. And uh, so your dad showed them to you when you were 10. And um, did you, so you watched four, five, and six, and then did you go back on your own and watch one, two, and three? Did you watch those with him as well? No, uh, he, to be honest, I don't even think he understands the prequels all that much. (laughs) Kind of like the, I don't think anyone really does. Yeah, except for the people who, I guess, grew up in the 90s. That's me. So, oh, then (laughs) I guess I should be asking you, do you understand the prequels? (laughs) Well, I think, after Carson and I's three podcasts uh, and about six hours of talking about them um, and numerous watches, I think I'm close. Okay. I'm close. Well, I mean, it's just, you have to get over that hurdle of Star Wars 4 came out before 1. And once you get over that, I think you can understand pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes it's a matter of, uh, do you... Do you understand? Do you not? Do you really want to? There are certain things that I don't think I need to know any more detail about. I think I'm I'm good. With yeah. My current level of understanding. So, um, like I was saying, uh, I I I watched the original and then uh, I uh, I watched the prequels later on, not in any specific order. I was just like Star Wars, yes, please. <laughs> nice. So early on, did you? So you said that you always loved uh this movie a new hope and that made you push on to watch empire and return of the jedi uh when you were younger did one of these six like stand out to you as like this is the one that i really love or did you was it just kind of like all star wars i love all of it well i mean there was that factor of star wars is good so i enjoy star wars yeah but uh four has always stood out to me as being my favorite nice um Actually, it's it's interesting that you asked that because that's always been the case um, ever since I originally watched them, ever since I watched the prequels or even the sequels later on. Yeah. Four has always been my favorite. And um, I recently rewatched uh, all of them in um, my own order. And uh, five really stood out to me as like, man, this is really good. I didn't really understand this before, but still <laughs> four is my absolute favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Four and five. Yeah, no spoilers for the next podcast, but those are the, those are two good ones. So, uh, Carson, do you have anything specifically tied to like your um, like like growth in terms of like not growth as like a fan, like you became a better fan, but like your progression through your life and this movie tied together? Yeah. So. Um, I, this movie, I kind of don't, I definitely don't remember the first time I watched this movie. Same, Neither do I. Same thing with all of the, with all of the original trilogy. I, I can't recall, um, when I first saw them, cause it kind of felt like they always just were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, that's kind of like what Riley said. They're just like, you're just always aware that this is, there's this thing where people will have lightsabers and there's movies about them in space. Like, <laughs> right. Um, and then as of i'm trying to think of when it was it may have been around maybe 2015 to 2017 i was re-watching them leading up to either the release of the force awakens or um the last jedi and when i was re-watching them 
and I was watching about one a day, um, I realized that Empire Strikes Back was not actually my favorite Star Wars movie. I always thought it was. And for a lot of, I think almost every Star Wars fan, um, Empire Strikes Back is their favorite movie. But for me personally, I'm in the same boat as Riley. A New Hope has kind of won me over. It's just, there's a couple things about it that um, the way it tackles storytelling um, Mm -hmm. in a little different way um, than Empire Strikes Back. I think that's why I kind of ended up preferring this one. And so that's kind of a recent development. I think, Riley, you said that you've always preferred um, A New Hope. um, And that's always been your favorite. But for me, as of maybe the past five, six years, um, A New Hope has kind of climbed to my number one spot. So that's kind of been my progression um, with this movie. And every time I watch it, um, almost every Star Wars movie, I like, I feel like I have to watch the one that comes after it, especially like Empire Strikes Back into Return of the Jedi. But one thing um, that I love so much about this movie is the fact that it's such like a great single story. And this could have been the only Star Wars movie ever made and it would have been perfect. Um, And so I think that's part of why I, this one kind of took the throne for me. Yeah. Good points. So um, like I said, I don't really remember my first time watching. Um, I'm sure I watched it first because my uncle showed them to me. And I don't know, I don't know why he would show them to me out of order. And he showed them to me before Phantom Menace came out. So there was just those three movies. And um, we watched the first versions of the special editions, which there's been like three or four of them now, but I always just plus re- edits. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into some of that stuff as we go, but uh, <laughs> there's just some interesting choices over the years of things they've added and changed to these movies. But yeah, I just always remember um, loving a new hope and empire strikes back. And um, although my opinions on all of these movies has changed a little bit up and down a little bit, nothing, nothing too dramatic probably, um, but a little bit here and there this one is one that I've always loved. It's always been in my top two or three uh, Star Wars films. And so we'll talk about where it's at right now later, but um, it's always been very high up for me. So so with all the background stuff um, finished up here, we're going to dive into the actual movie itself and kind of talk our way through some of our thoughts on the opening of the movie, the middle of the movie, and the ending of the movie. Um, so We're going to do that here in just a second. We're going to have a quick break first, though. So uh, we'll see you all here in just a couple of seconds. And welcome back. We're going to start talking about A New Hope. Star Wars Episode 4, Episode 1, in terms of when it came out, I guess. But it's just, you know, it's just Star Wars. It doesn't make any sense. We're going to start off with the opening of the movie. So we have the opening crawl, talking about the Civil War between the Rebels and the Empire. And, uh the plans for the Death Star that have been stolen by spies and put aboard these two droids, C-3PO and R2-D2, and uh, everything that happens from the opening of the movie and everything on Tatooine, which is Luke's home planet there. Um, We're going to talk about all of this section kind of all at once. There's a lot that happens in here. It's really about 30 to 45 minutes of the movie. So um, anything that stood out to you on this rewatch, Carson? Um, on this rewatch specifically, no, because uh, I have probably I watch this movie like once every year and I'm 22 <laughs> years old. 
Um, so <laughs> I've seen it quite a few times. Um, I mean, so on the te- on like the early opening portion, I will say one thing that I've always loved about this movie is is the opening. Um, it I love it when movies open up with action. I like starting. I like pacing to me in a movie is maybe the most important thing to like win me over. Um, and even if it's not the most important thing, it might be why I prefer a movie over another. And I love this movie's pace, and I love the way it starts. Uh, yeah. with that pace so when it starts off with the star destroyer chasing the blockade runner mm-hmm. uh, and they're kind of like firing back and forth i love that but i love like the um how it has all of that action and it doesn't cut it with any or interrupt it rather with any dialogue yeah um, so you open up and you get several minutes of action and then you do get some lines from like 3po and droids but you don't get any actual lines from a character until about four and a half to five minutes in which i really like jpo isn't a character i mean he's not a human character okay i was like man he's like one of the biggest characters of the yeah. whole star wars and you're just like yeah we don't need any any lines from the characters droids aren't humans droids no. have rights too carson hey we don't we don't like their kind here. <laughs> L3 is going to have Whoa. to have a talk with you. Yeah. We're having some, some uh, political differences here. We might have to uh, edit this out of the podcast or something. I don't hey, know. I, I agree with the, with the cantina uh, owner owner. I can't remember his name now, but yeah, that's somewhere in Canon. Um, yeah. But- I, I would agree with you though, but continue your train of thought there. It, it, the pace is great. Yeah. And so you get like the action um, and I feel like it's, again, you won't, I'm going to mention this in every single podcast that we do, how important um, show don't tell is. And so they open up and they tell you about the civil war that's going on and they show you the civil war um, first five minutes. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and and they just do a great job of kind of encapsulating that in that opening bit. Um, And I'll leave the floor open. I'm not going to move on with my other um, opinions of the opening movie. So I'll, I'll let someone else take the floor they have anything to say about that opening uh, bit there riley do you have anything to add for the like opening like five ten minutes of the movie yeah um uh to what one thing to add on to what carson was saying with the uh showing and telling thing uh another thing i appreciate about this one especially well i mean this pretty much goes for uh four five and six but especially four uh is um when I don't know when I was watching the movie I, I know this is a weird tidbit but <laughs> uh I I was um I was at a friend's house and w- when I re-watched it recently and uh some kids came over uh to watch the movie with us and it was their first time seeing it and it was really interesting seeing how they were processing it mm-hmm. even though they I don't think they were really aware of it at, at that moment because they're just watching a movie yeah. but Sometimes I was even more focused on the kids watching the movie than the movie itself. Yeah. Because you can just see like, like the younger kids, uh, they were still enjoying the movie, even though they didn't really know what was going on with the civil war. They knew about the action. They knew the, who the good guys were, who the bad guys were. And I think that's really what this movie encapsulates best. In my opinion, it doesn't do anything outlandish with its storytelling, it's really back to basics when it mm-hmm. comes to the storytelling devices that they use. 
but they do it so well that even even someone who has the audio off can understand what's happening to a certain degree i think that's really really cool yeah Uh, i think that they do a great job with visual storytelling that's part of why they can do that yeah uh two other things that i noticed and especially in the beginning with the opening in the in the in the oh what is it a blockade runner yeah okay uh the 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 kind of um subversion of expectations and probably in a uh uh what do you say um uh unintentional way mm-hmm. is when i think of space if i take star wars out of it if i think of like space future sci-fi stuff i usually think of star trek chrome i think about that one episode of spongebob where he goes to the future and everything's covered in chrome <laughs> uh this movie is like the opposite of that yeah. You you look at the the visuals. It's dirty. It's dingy. It's it's even dark at points. Not the subject matter, but like the actual set pieces. Yeah. The lighting. It's uh, it's um almost kinda putting you. Yeah, it's really grungy. Yeah, which is actually kind of cool for this one. Yeah. Um, especially since you put this in the context of five and six and seeing how they really tidy things up with the set design. I'm not saying it's completely because of their budget that they had for the fourth one, or uh, I guess the first one. Uh, sorry. Uh, Same difference. But, <laughs> yeah. But either way, I think it works in their favor, like really well. Yeah. The term I've, I've heard it described as is, uh, is lived, lived in, that the world is, it feels lived in. Um, and I think that JJ tried to go back to that to some extent in The Force Awakens, um, having like Ray crawling around in this dingy, grungy, like, beat up battleship and that kind of stuff but with the bigger budgets uh in the when you when you're when you have the bigger budgets and you're pushing special effects like the prequels do um and like the sequels have lots of practical stuff but also any any big budget movie in this era is going to have so much cgi um that is going to take away a little bit from that lived in feel and the prequels to me especially don't have that at all it feels very new and shiny and that could be a good or a bad thing depending on your feelings on it for me i prefer this feel from a new hope and it's to me it's close enough in empire and in return of the jedi that it feels kind of it feels continuous it does stand out and feel different like the prequels visually look completely different than the original trilogy and the sequels kind of feel like they're in between the two um, which is more of a natural progression to me the prequels partially because it's like you're going in the past and it looks and it looks even better but story-wise there are reasons for it to be that way but um, it does feel more dirty and lived in beat up everything is messed up and beat up Um, it was a more civilized era yeah (laughs) and i i I did catch that on this on this watch actually um some of the things look kind of plasticky like vader's suit at different spots that kind of reflects light in a way that is like um polished like like high quality plastic will like balance that light back in a different way than like the dull flat plastic of his suit in this movie it it looks more like a costume than a set piece yes yeah this is very funny which yeah i I do want to i kind of forget to say this i don't want to point it out while we're on the topic of vader it's always been obviously his like entrance into the movie is so cool. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's always cracked me up um, when he when it shows him choking um, Captain Antilles because you're like you're like oh he's 
like knowing Vader as a character, rewatching that, I would always, my mind would always be like, oh, there Darth Vader is doing his uh, signature force choke. Nope. He's just straight up choking the guy. Like he is holding <laughs> him right back. Yeah. Like, no, he's not like suspending him in the air like he does <laughs> later in the movie, but he's just like, I mean, maybe he, the force is in there somewhere. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I, I, I just, I just find that funny. He's just, has this guy in the air and then just throws him down to the ground. Yeah. Uh, and the way that the, I mean, I don't know how else you would act that scene. If the actor that plays Captain Antilles, he does a pretty decent job of like looking dead when, <laughs> as he hits the wall, which like, if you're a real person who's being thrown against a wall, how could you not respond and just like, let your body go limp? I don't know. Like that yeah. would be impossible. He doesn't look perfect, but it looks fine. But I didn't notice that. I was like, it's funny because in, in the same movie, he does use the distance force choke. Right. Just a, like half hour later. So it was just funny that they had him actually choke somebody and then force choke someone later in the same movie. Like, like they're setting up their own tropes real solidly in this first movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think for me, other things that I really caught, I, I, I always catch the music. I can't help but catch the music. I think that the visuals and the music combine really well to create that show don't tell um, like visual storytelling that you both mentioned. I think with those two elements, like Riley said, you can just, you can just turn off the dialogue sometimes and just know what's going on. Um, I mean, you don't even have like so much of the movie in the first half an hour is 3PO talking to R2 and R2's dialogue is just whistles and beeps. And like, so half the dialogue is nothing anyways. Like, the dialogue in this movie, while very, very good, like there's a couple of small, subtle lines that I wrote down that I thought were just really great. But um, while it is really good, it's sparse. And that's something that I noticed directly going from the prequels to this movie. The prequels are like very dialogue heavy. And uh, I think to their own detriment at times, but there's a lot that needs to be told. Like they're, the prequels are trying to get through this like nine movie story in three movies. <laughs> so like when you do when you kind of try to overdo it a little bit with the scope of your plan i think you have to have a ton of exposition and a ton of dialogue whereas this movie is cutting back a lot um one other thing that i noticed in a big picture kind of thing is that every scene is like really full like if you're in the city there's like stuff happening everywhere there's like little things happening all around you um and that's a good thing and a bad thing there's like the additions to um moss eisley um the cgi additions uh there's like i think they're ronto's ron ronto's carson maybe you remember that giant nicer looking things like at one point one of them just like walks right in front of the screen oh yeah it completely blocks out what the original scene was for like an entire second second and a half you can't see the movie anymore they're like hey this movie that you're enjoying guess what you can't see it anymore enjoy this like cgi leg <laughs> okay even know. So, so can bizarre. we talk about the additions yeah 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 okay I mean, try to focus they, they, on this section of canon. the movie right yeah, now yeah, yeah. Those, yeah mcclunky is canon mcclunky yeah yeah okay so what i usually say to people like going into because i've shown people uh star wars before yeah. and my personal uh my personal best way of doing that is showing four first and i always have to preface okay the cgi stuff that wasn't originally in there please don't judge it by that Mm -hmm. and then uh they can point out the big ones right but 
uh, in this rewatch, I actually kind of changed my opinion a little bit on uh, the special editions and all the CGI stuff. I I was always um, almost always like um, the big do-backs or the big dialogue changes or Jabba the Hutt uh, coming in. Those are the worst changes. But I don't know. Um, sometimes, especially in the space battles, I... I kind of want to say the worst changes are the ones that are subtle. The ones that make you think, oh, that was made in the 70s? I, I guess I can kind of see that. It doesn't look that good. But it turns out it's the CGI you're seeing. And yeah. the practical effects look completely fine. But they, they, they put a little CGI here and there and just kind of throw it all off. So mm-hmm. you kind of think, oh, oh, this, the effects weren't that good back then. When in actuality... It's the effects that they put in weren't that good and they kind of ruined the scene. Yeah, the changes that I have a problem with, I wouldn't say I overall have a problem with all of the changes, but um, a lot of these changes that are CGI creatures or characters that are added in um, in like broad daylight, they look really bad. And I don't know if it's just that they look really bad or if it's because they're um, like juxtaposed to stuff shot in the 70s or if it's a little bit of both. But like Jabba the Hutt looks horrific next to Harrison Ford. Um, Like it just is like so jarring. And he doesn't even look even close to what he looks like in Return of the Jedi. And yeah, sure, there's a few years in there, but not like that many he looks like a completely different character. Almost. Like, like if you just said, oh, this is Jabba's twin brother, Jabba. Like I'm like, oh yeah, there's two, two different characters. That makes more sense. That would make more sense than it actually just being the same character. Um, yeah, so some of that stuff is a, a nuisance. But the movie is so good that like I think you can watch it even with that and it not really take away much. Um, I would prefer some of those things to be changed. However, uh, I think they finally have the Greedo and Han scene to a spot where I'm like happy with it. Yeah. McClunky is awkward, but besides him shouting McClunky randomly, also which, hilarious, though. which is hilarious. So it is funny. Yeah. It's so worth it to be honest. And like, which is funny. It, it's the one where every time is so worth it. It's the one word that they don't translate. So yeah. like he's, while he's talking, you have subtitles underneath his talking right. and then he says McClunky and we're just supposed to know what that means. okay so that just brings up so many questions why that was like one i think that was the only change in the disney plus version why did they do it you want to know why i have no idea why the reason why they did it is because they knew that inevitably there would be three lunatics on a podcast (laughs) talking about why on earth did they make this change yeah there's no real real answer but because that scene has changed from Han shot first to Han shot second. And right now, at least when I just watched it, I mean, I didn't sit and pour over it, but it feels like they're basically at the same time with maybe even Han shooting a little bit first. Like, it feels like a shootout. Whereas before it was like Han shoots Greedo, but then Greedo somehow pulls the trigger while he's dying. And then the second version of it was like Greedo clearly shooting and missing by a mile. And then Han shooting him, which didn't make sense either. And this version actually, I feel like, makes sense. And it feels like a shootout where, like, two people just shoot at the same time. And in that chaos, Greedo just misses. Um, 
because there there was one version that was really bad. I forgot about this until just now, where you see Han's head move. Yeah, and it was like a di- like a digital like I don't know what it was, but I like some kind of an effect where they push his head over to the side. It was horrible. It was horrible. Now I will say, uh, in terms of special effects, there are some of them that make all the difference in the world, uh, in my opinion. Like one of them, most of it is like the landscaping or not landscaping, but the landscapes of the movie. <laughs> um, like, so w- one example of that being when R2 and 3PO are on Tatooine, there's this shot. I think it's after 3PO and R2 had their separate ways. When R- it shows like this pan of the valley and like rock formation that R2 is walking through. Mm-hmm. I, and I remember watching that um like last year sometime and i paused it because i was so like my jaw was on the floor of how good it looked yeah um, and it it feels like it's it's not jarring because it feels like it fits um and it still has that grimy earthy feel yeah but it also just looks really good so little th- like the ones like that and a, a big one for me honestly i don't know how you guys feel about it the uh, death star explosion is so much more epic in this version than yeah. just like a like a i don't even know how to describe the, the original, original explosion it's very like very dated the original yeah, one it was because they didn't they didn't have the the special effects to really accurately portray or epically portray the explosion of a moon-sized space station yeah. so it makes sense but some there are some really good ones that add a lot to the movie it's pretty hard for me to believe that the same person who added some rocks and some coloration to some Tunisian desert landscape to make it look just a little bit more beautiful. Is the same person that put that abomination of a job of the hut in the middle of that scene. That's the same guy. Like, <laughs> I mean, there's a huge difference between character modeling and landscaping. Though. I know. I'm just saying like to be able to get that done and see it and see how well it looks. And then to even attempt something like that and not see it finished and think yeah it doesn't work um it's kind of obviously the skill level it takes to do those two things is not um equal but yeah they're just it's the same thing with like empire strikes back all the stuff it's a whole different thing but all the stuff in cloud city so much of that is special edition and i love it it looks gorgeous um but it's small touch-ups and it's background stuff and it's um, like nature shots, like it's clouds and sunsets and rocks and trees and that kind of stuff. And those things just kind of enhance what's already there. Whereas things like the dinosaur creatures and Jabba the Hutt are like distractions. Um, It's like taking a painting and like adding in some trees versus adding in like a dinosaur. Like these things is like one of them is distracting you from the beauty that's already there. And one of them is enhancing it. It's just interesting that both of those things can exist in the same additions to a movie, but anything else on the special editions while we're here? Uh, all I got to say, the one last thing is uh, one special edition that I just now kind of realized the, the detriment of is the first time you see the death star they remove the practical one and then they put in a CGI one. Yeah. It, it looks completely like chrome black with like the sun shining off of it. It looks very <laughs> modern. And then you contrast that with every other shot of the Death Star where it's like gray and like uh, kind of, I don't know how to, I don't, how would you even say the texture 
of a lot of these practical things are yeah, i don't know because a lot of them are like kind of flat like a matte not, not quite a matte finish but like they have that like like vader's costume at times looks like it has smudges on it like fingerprints yeah smudges. yeah I don't know how to describe that texture because it's like a cheaper pla- basically it's like a cheap plastic like a cheaper yeah, plastic it's, it's something that you can only replicate in a small scale uh replica yeah so yeah, there's a lot of changes some good some bad but um overall it's what we have right now so i don't think they kill anything necessarily but some of them no, are I, I definitely kind of a pain in the butt i think overall it makes the movie better That's i think so take. i think there's more good than bad like, I mean, you, you're not going to catch me if I'm watching um, A New Hope. You're not going to catch me watching the original cut. I'm going to watch the um, 2020, 2021 yeah. version on Disney+. Plus. I, think I am it, completely the opposite. Yeah, really. I, I, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think if Disney Plus had both versions, I would watch the original. Yeah, definitely. Just uh, and not so much because like a lot of the small things that you're talking about that add a lot, they're not important like then it's really cool and like it makes it look more pretty or whatever but like the shot design meaning like the angles of the camera already make the shot good they just enhanced it so like they took it from like an eight out of ten to make it like a nine out of ten you know like that kind of thing whereas these shots that were eight out of tens are now like pushed down by a giant dinosaur in the way or like this extra job of the hut nonsense and that kind of stuff whereas i think that i don't I'll take the loss of those small things to get rid of the big blots. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, for now, there's not really a way to do that. There are way like people have gone through and like de-specialized the original trilogy, but it's the kind of thing you'd have to be real tech savvy to get a hold of, and that's not really that's not really my um, expertise. So, um, moving on to stuff in the opening of the movie. For me, the introduction of Vader and Leia are some of my favorite parts. Um, Leia's probably my second favorite character in this movie. Like, I don't know how you guys feel, but she's like just excellent in pretty much every scene. Um, one thing that stood out to me that was wild uh, we don't see Luke Skywalker until 17 minutes into the movie. Yeah, that's something <laughs> um, because I, I don't want to tip my hand. Uh, to another point I'm going to make in a couple episodes of this podcast. Um, but um, I I like how it's done in this movie um, because it sets up so much. And then it's like, bam, you're introducing the character. Um, the way they don't show him immediately, I think a lot of movies, so like, um, I don't know. Does, how long do you think The Force Awakens takes to introduce you to Rey? Say about five, the five, same time. Oh, I, I think it's. I think it's a good bit less. Really? Yeah, I, if I had yeah. to guess, because I would say maybe ten minutes, because I think you, I think you, I you, you meet her before Finn meets her. So yeah, I would say it's about half, and I and I think I like the way this movie does it because you because it's more like the character stumbling into the story, and I think that fits the narrative of Luke. Yeah, I think it like it fits his character along the lines of you have this hero who he's just like a regular average Joe um, and he kind of just falls into place and his, the things that make him, him is what allows him to excel. It wasn't like he was chosen 
for any specific thing by anyone specific. Um, it was just kind of, he just happened to be there and um, what makes him great as a hero was what propelled him forward. So I, I like how he kind of just like how the story flows, how like just diverges upon him and how he kind of like crosses paths with the um, other characters. I mean, I don't disagree, but I think if you give me a scene of him working on the farm, like what you get with Ray in the opening, like her first scene in the middle somewhere in there, I wouldn't complain about it. Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't think they're that different. Is what yeah. I, it's, it's kind of what I'm saying. Like yeah. you get a little glimpse of Ray like, scavenging in the ship, and she has a similar moment to the twin sunset moment when she sees uh, the old lady cleaning the parts. It's like her also thinking, like, I need to get out of here. I need there's something more for me. The same way that Luke is looking off at the sunset, thinking, I need to get out of here. There's more for me somewhere else. Um, and all of that kind of stuff. And then the plot happens to her with Finn coming into in, in, into into the um uh city there on Jakku. I don't remember what the name of it is. Uh, Nima Outpost. Yeah, Nima Outpost. And it's just the same way that the droids come into the Lars homestead, kind of bringing the plot to Luke. Yeah. I think they're I think they're I think they're deliberately very similar, which many people have said is a negative, but whatever. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I think for this one it like I like that it's like it has the main like at, basically the movie opens and it's like the movie follows I mean really the whole movie it's R2 and 3PO they're the common thread really that yeah. holds the movie together and so you get like where they were and they're kind of like the what's constantly pushing the movie forward um so you, it, they went from not being characters to the background the, the, uh, back, you know, the oh, backbone no. of the movie Oh, no, wow. I met, I met human characters. Come on. <laughs> um, but no. Um, so like, I, I like it when movies have a thread that they follow. And like, that is, and, and again, I, it goes back to how I like the storytelling in this movie. Um, I, I like it when it doesn't start a lot of loose ends and then ties the loose ends together. I like the yeah. loose ends hat, like occurring as the movie unfolds. It feels more, um, direct I would say in more um, like it has a more natural flow for me or at least that's the effect that it has on me personally yeah I, I wouldn't have thought to like I would think to compare them and would not even think to like think that one flows much differently than the other one so I understand there's a small difference there but I think it's for me it's pretty negligible but I also haven't rewatched. The Force Awakens yet, so we'll get into that in a little while. Um, specific small things, I that I didn't one thing I never caught before is like R two like deliberately trying to hide Leia's message from Luke, and I don't even just mean like when Luke removes the restraining bolt that he like closes it down, like he's like lying about what it is. He says it's like, oh, it's old. It's an old message from a long time ago. Like, he said, like we're getting all of it through three PO translating, but like he's actively trying to hide this message, which it makes sense. But like, something that you wouldn't think about if you've watched all these movies a bunch, because like Luke's just always been a part of Star Wars. But to this point, it's like, oh, if Luke's just not like, if Luke isn't curious, is he just not part of these movies anymore? Because <laughs> like, there's all these like, it's just like a small thing where if he hadn't just like pushed the issue or been curious as to like who that was in the message, 
and it just believed R2, then he wouldn't even be a part of the story, I guess. That's made me laugh. But um, and also in that same scene, one of my favorite lines of the entire movie is when he R2, like Luke removes the restraining bolt, R2 turns off the message, right? And then um, Luke says, like, where did it go? Play the message or whatever. And 3PO's is translating for R2. He says, what message is the one you were just uh, playing? He says, the one you're holding inside your rusty innards. That like phrasing of rusty innards like yeah. makes me laugh out loud every single time. Um, a lot of 3PO's lines are just so well-crafted and so well-delivered by Anthony Daniels. He's one of my top uh, favorite parts of this movie and uh, other movies as well. But this one here, I think he's at near his best, if not his best as, as a character. I'd agree with that. Um, the droids like it's there's something so weird about this movie because I feel like no other Star Wars movie really gives them so many lines and screen time and everything like that Um, and just kind of what I mentioned earlier the fact that the whole movie flows through them uh, makes it work so well Um, and just the interactions there are so so rich yeah Um, one more specific thing all of the character introductions are so well done so that by about 40 minutes, you've met Vader and Leia, 3PO, R2, Luke, Han, and Chewbacca, um, and Tarkin. And so, like, you have all Obi- the chess pieces on the table. And what would you add? You add? Uh, and Obi-Wan. I, I thought I mentioned him. Maybe oh, I just okay. forgot. Okay. I, may have, I may have just spaced it. But, yeah, Obi-Wan as well. If I, if I missed him, then sorry. Sorry, Obi-Wan. Uh, but yeah, if you get all these like chess pieces on the board quickly and, but quickly, but also like not in a rush, like, although the plot is quick, they're, uh, introduced, they kind of all get their own moments or they share introductions like, like Leia and Vader's introduction is basically the same scene, uh, roughly. So you get moments like that where you get them interacting together and not, so not only do do you get to meet one of them, you get to meet both of them. And in their interactions, you are given character information. So like in Rogue One, where Bodhi Rook says 15 times that he's the pilot, and that's how you know he's the pilot. Uh, instead of doing that, Leia, you can tell, is snarky because she is making quips to like this huge villain who's in this big black suit and is menacing and is choking people. And she's not scared of, scared of him. You can tell that, not because she says, I'm not scared of you, but because she acts in a way that is not scared of this intimidating figure. And we know that he is Vader is supposed to be this big intimidating figure based off of his actions. And what we see like later on in the um, scene with him and all the Imperial officers, like you get those character um, like background pieces right away in terms of like, who are they as characters? Um, And my favorite of all of them is Han Solo in terms of introductions. I've used that opening scene of, of them meeting Han Solo to teach characterization in my classes. Uh, I think it is like storytelling, like perfection in terms of how to introduce a character. Um, and it's just that entire scene in the cantina is like iconic and a masterpiece, but um, specifically meeting Han and the interactions between him and Luke and him and Obi-Wan um, and him and Chewbacca and then later him and Greedo. Just, there's like a five minute span where he interacts with like four or five people and you get to know basically all that you need to know about Han Solo in like five minutes. I think it's excellent. But um, that pretty much brings us up to the Death Star. So um, this middle chunk of the movie, I think is my favorite chunk of the movie. 
So um, plot-wise, we know that they get off Tatooine and are trying to take the plans to Alderaan. The Death Star has blown up Alderaan, and so our heroes are captured and taken aboard the Death Star. They find out that Leia is there, so amidst them trying to escape, they're going to um, rescue Leia as well. And th- I think this chunk of the movie is my favorite chunk of the movie. Um, Riley, what do you think about like this area of the movie? Anything stand out to you? Um, well, uh, I would say that to go off of what you were just saying is my favorite chunk of the movie is definitely the first act. Okay. Uh, second act is, I would say just as good. It's just not my favorite. Um, because I love the character introductions and the way we're introduced to the story, but, uh, the way they continue it through the second act, uh, kind of with the twist of, cause you're thinking they're going to Alderaan. And well, sometimes I, uh, when watching movies like this that you've seen a thousand times, uh, you, <laughs> you get used to the twists. So they're no longer twists and they never were twists because you didn't know the concept of twists when you watched it originally. <laughs> so it's a really weird, weird experience, yeah. but trying to put yourself in the audience of someone who has never seen the story before and going off of that you have to appreciate the way they turn the story a little bit with mm-hmm. uh, instead of going to this large planet with a bunch of people that you have sympathizers for, you're actually going to uh, that pretty much the head of uh, all the evil people that we know yeah. of so far because yeah. we're not introduced to Palpatine till later. Yeah. Um, but I think that's really interesting how the characters uh, right at pretty much the beginning of their journey is thrust into the most evil dark place that we know of. Yeah, and I think that conflict, um, like you were talking about how we get such great, and I was talking about too, we get such great um, character introductions. I think that conflict brings out more characterization. Um, seeing how they all handle stress, not only is it like giving character information, but for this part of the movie, it's mostly infusing a lot of comedy. Uh, other than 3PO, there really isn't much comedy in the first like 40 minutes and then you get Han Solo in his first few scenes there are some quippy moments not really anything that would make me laugh really per se Um, but on the Death Star he is just like comedic gold throughout um, the entire time the quips and lines about not only to Leia but about Leia uh, the conversation on the intercoms when they're trying to like he's trying to like get the officers to just leave him alone he's like uh we're all fine here how are you like that whole conversation in the in the detention bay is excellent and um the stuff uh when they after they get through the garbage mashers uh and he's giving leia a hard time and she's giving it right back to him when he say at the end he looks at luke and says no reward is worth this (laughs) and like just those kind of lines. I just love them the entire time. And this whole chunk of the movie gives you a bunch of that kind of stuff. Uh, Carson, anything that you would kind of throw in here for this uh, like middle area of the movie? Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree, especially with like the Han Solo stuff. Uh, for me personally, the uh, the Han Solo, yeah, fine, we're all fine here. How are you? Yeah. Shoots it. Luke, we're going to have company. Yeah, that's uh, great. Like going. Um, that whole scene, um, that is maybe one of my top five uh character like interactions exchanges in all of star wars oh yeah me too Uh, it's it's so funny um and it's 
so entertaining in this movie you get a lot of like fun stuff but you also get a lot of super intense stuff and i think it's really interesting the way they balance the two um like you have like the scene where han runs around the 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 corner and there's (laughs) just like hundreds of stormtroopers which i think in the original version it was only like two or three (laughs) but then they added they just like went all out and added so like there were tons and then him just like you see him run down there him like round the corner and like his like the his reaction as he rounds the corner where he like stops in his uh foot tracks and 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 just like screams and like he puts his gun up and just like runs the opposite way and then him running back down the hallway yeah it's so funny i think Um, what i love about that moment is like his scream so like he deliberately is screaming and running at them yeah to give leia and uh luke a chance to escape and then he gets kind of like into a spot where he's like cornered by like 50 stormtroopers right. and he turns around and runs away again and screams again but his screams are basically the same scream yeah so it's like so it's like he's but but just like through his emotion and through a scream he's conveying different ideas and different yeah. like uh, uh feelings in those moments and they're really great they're really funny and yeah and so you get all that stuff i think that i think this part of the movie is um where honestly we're han just like really really shines obviously yeah. the opening is super good um i think this is well, we don't get him his introduction I, I because of the fact that i marked down when you first see luke i marked down when you first see han too you don't see han until 48 minutes into the movie wow so like yeah which is crazy for how big he is Wait, in how, how long is the wrong time it's like two hours and it's just over two and a half i think it's right around oh, two really? and a half you can make the argument that han isn't brought into the like he's brought in for the set like the second act is is han solo because it's yeah. like end of the first act or beginning of the second act um but either way like this i in my opinion again like i don't think this is necessarily a hot take because this movie is so good but i think he's better even in this movie than he is in empire strikes back oh wow that, um, might, that might be a little hot take i don't know yeah it's it's kind of it's like well, you see different sides of han i guess um, yeah, but for this sure. Is my favorite. This is like my favorite version of Han Solo. Um, his just like in the the conversation, they do a great job characterizing him beyond that first scene. Um, like in his discussions with Luke, as he's like, "I don't want to be running around this um, around the Death Star. I'm not here to save anyone." Yeah, uh, my goal, I because I mean, for all he knew, he was just a, a taxi cab driver. And then all of a sudden he's in the belly of the beast and he doesn't really want to be there. But then the, I love, I've always loved the exchange where Luke is like, she's rich. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Imagine how much money we could get. He realizes um, how to, how to manipulate Han. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of that, that exchange there is really interesting because you're seeing like the hero manipulating the, the more like scummy dude. Yeah. Um, so that's, really my favorite part of this middle portion of the movie so uh, a new hope is two hours and five minutes so meet you meet han just over the 30 like what the one third mark uh, wow. 48 okay. minutes would be about probably about 40 percent away other way through the movie which is like probably appropriate like if you just look at it as this movie like han helps propel luke and obi-wan in r2 and 3po into act two and three um 
But in the scope of Star Wars, he's a much bigger character than that. And so it's kind of weird to think that you don't see him for over 45 minutes. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to me because uh, I just noticed it with Luke. So I was like, well, I wonder when, when you see Han. And it's pretty far into the movie, really. But um, other than that, the oh, on top of that, with the moment of Han chasing the um, stormtroopers, just a little bit later, they're chasing them back, right? And then like it cuts away to... Luke and Leia trying to cross the bridge with the um, cable grappling hook thing, grappling hook thing yeah, um, and then goes back to Han and Chewie being chased. And uh, there's one small moment that I just I'm sure I've heard it before, but it just made me laugh. The stormtroopers are like shouting out orders to try to help get Han, and they say like one of them says close the blast doors, and then Han turns and shoots at them to slow them down. And then Han and Chewie jump through the doors as they're closing. And then once they're like almost totally closed, you hear the same guy say, open the blast doors, open the blast doors. <laughs> and so, he, yeah, just been like, yeah, close the doors. Oh, no, wait, open the doors. This is like a small, like simple humor, but it worked for me. Yeah, the stormtroopers in this portion of the movie are so, are so funny because like you get like the knocking the head on the, on the ceiling and they're not like, they, I don't know. Oh yeah, that moment. Yeah, like the all the I've I've noticed that before. All all like the exchanges. I honestly I I think that's like a super underrated part of this movie is the stormtroopers is because they have I feel like you have so many different um just like no name characters giving you lines. Like um this is kind of jumping back to the first act, but when the guy um I don't know why, but when he finds like the piece of metal on the ground, he's like, Look, sir, droids. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. Like, I feel like that's. I feel like that line isn't supposed to be funny, but it is, and I don't know. No, why. but it is. I think that the 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 stormtroopers come across as like purely like enlisted men, like yeah. especially coming off of watching the uh, the clones so much in the prequels and watching the Bad Batch as it's being aired right now, uh, they feel very different in this movie than the clones. I mean, like um, when they're going through Mos Eisley looking for the droids, three uh, PO and R two are are locked in a closet. And a stormtrooper comes up to a door, knocks on it, and mo- tries to open it, and says, "It's locked. Keep moving." <laughs> like that guy does not care. He does yeah. not care. And then, like- yeah, that's actually something <laughs> I pointed out, like when we were watching it today. Yeah. I was like, what, "Don't you want to check out the locked doors because <laughs> they're hiding?" And then on the Death Star, uh, you're just like you're you're some dude who's yeah. employed by this the intergalactic empire. Who it's like if you don't do your job, who's gonna know? Yeah. Like, uh, later on, also on the Death Star, um, so like Han and Chewie and Luke leave R two and three PO behind, right? And the joy, the stormtroopers come and find them in there, and three PO is like, "If you hurry, you can go catch them." And they, and most of them leave, and then one of them stands guard, and three PO just like walks up to him, is like, "Hey, I need to get my friend some help," and he's like, "Yeah, sure, go ahead." <laughs> he doesn't even like <laughs> he doesn't ask any questions like yeah whatever do whatever you want and i was like i just love that the stormtroopers don't really care uh, yeah, they don't seem like bad dudes no uh like when when luke and han steal their the armor uh they like knock out the techs that bring in the scanner and then they're like hey can you help us and they just like yeah sure and go help and then they get knocked out themselves like they just seem so nonchalant about like almost everything and i love it uh the way that Whichever one of them, one stormtrooper, like when they first realize that you see Obi Wan and Vader fighting, he kind of like shrugs, like, "Hey, let's go watch this thing," and then just go watch it. Like it's so nonchalant and like not <laughs> militaristic, and I just love it because it just feels very much like we're just being forced to like we're being paid for this, but like 
it's not my fight. <laughs> right, for sure. But, um, anything else on this section of the movie? I think that basically other than like the Obi-Wan and Vader fight, we've kind of covered most of the bases there. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would say that I would want to add is um, just one uh, little thing is uh, th- there's just been this new thing that I've been hearing around that's kind of like the new hot take for this movie oh, is man. Luke is uh, a whiny brat this entire yeah. movie and he's like not the hero that they should have and without the second act I might agree but there's a whole second act where he kind of uh, he starts out as a little whiny which is not a bad thing it's his character I think they do that on purpose Uh, but he really comes on his own with rescuing the princess and especially manipulating Han like he's not an incompetent character no he's a he isn't just some dumb farm boy and i think the second act really shows that and i i don't think that's even a hot take honestly i i've heard that take since i was a teenager probably really yeah so and i I at one point probably would have halfway agreed with it but i think that from a movie making point of view they use luke as a character to give you um times to explain things and at times it can come off as kind of like whiny so like a lot of the interactions in the first couple of scenes with him and with him and Han are him like being annoyed at Han because Han's cocky and then Luke will say something kind of quippy back but could be taken as whiny and it get, then gives Han a movie reason to explain something. So like several times when they're first leaving Tatooine, like Han is explaining um, hyperspace and how it works and how they're trying to get away but Hans like Luke the whole time is like hey what's that and what are you doing and why is that why is that alarm going off and it's like saying kind of whiny things but you can tell from a storytelling point of view they're using him as a mechanism to like give Han the opportunity to explain what's getting ready to happen to the viewer so like you're not just like blown away when they're jumping into hyperspace like you understand what's happening and why it's happening so like and I think it also is used to make him seem like a teenager because I don't think he would. I think because he's supposed to be canonically. I think he's supposed to be like what Carson? Do you remember like seventeen? I think he's nineteen. Nineteen. So he doesn't really look that young. Um, so I think they try to make him seem more like a teenager who's like ready to you know leave home for the first time. And being kind of whiny kind of helps um, portray that um, that like character like feeling, I guess. Yeah, and I think I think they the reason like and he's kind of even they kind of go through the reasons of why luke would be justified in being whiny yeah um because you get the stuff with um uncle owen and luke about him wanting to leave a semester early um because of the new droids he thinks that they would be enough help but actually something i didn't catch was um he says um you can basically uh, owen says something about him staying on till a certain period of time and then he can go yeah. and then luke's like well that's what you said last time or yeah. but like when we don't we don't see that but it's like luke is sick of being here he's already agreed he felt like he was already supposed to have been allowed to leave uh something happened that didn't allow him to do that so he's like i guess it's kind of like the the star wars equivalent of uh, of a kid like graduating college but then finding out he couldn't leave home and go out of state to go live on campus yeah and get away from home and get away from his parents he didn't get to do that 
uh, he had to wait an extra year to do that. And then, so I, th- I think that's kind of like what's co- the dynamic there. Of he's just ready to be away um, and kind of be on his own for a little bit. And like, I don't think having whiny moments is inherently a bad thing. Beyond no, the fact, beyond the fact that Aunt Baru, yeah, it makes him relatable. Beyond the fact that Aunt Baru is clearly on his side, right? Like several times she says things of like, "Come on, Owen, like, what are you doing?" Um, and I, I'm not sure if I've ever caught this before, but when Luke is mentioning that R2 had brought up Obi Wan Kenobi, the whole time that him and Owen are having that conversation and Owen's trying to cover it up, Baru keeps like giving Owen looks like are you really doing this? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you going to just keep covering this up for him? Like she knows what's going on and she's kind of like, we should probably should tell him he's, you know, he's 19 or whatever. Like it's probably time to tell him what's going on. You can tell that she just from a few small looks is like not sure that Owen is handling it the right way, which then makes Luke seem justified to be a little whiny. So um, I think the only last thing I would add on to this section of the movie that I'm not sure I've ever caught before was um they escape right and the the escape on the falcon from the death star with the with the with the tie fighters and that whole shootout section is excellent the music is really iconic there um i really appreciate and love that scene every time but when they get away they cut back to vader and tarkin and tarkin is like are you sure this is gonna work and vader's like yeah don't worry about it i have a homing like a tracking thing on their ship we're gonna track them right back to their base and we'll find them there. And then, and I, and I always remember that, but it cuts back to Han and Luke and Leia celebrating and they're all happy and Chewbacca. And one of the first things that Leia says is they're tracking us. This was too easy. And I was like, what? Like, I just did not remember that. Like Leia is like, well, no, I think she's just kind of like, yeah, we, we either we're going to get killed or we're going to yeah. escape and be tracked. So this is the better of the two evils. And right. hopefully, and she, she even says our last hope is just kind of like to hope we can analyze these plans and find a weak spot in the Death Star. And if we can't, it's too, it's too, it's, you know, it's just the end. It's um, kind of how, funny how last minute uh, all of this is because yeah. this is the introduction. Yeah. Uh, it just, it's kind of interesting because it makes her feel very confident and self-assured, um, which she already has been. But like the fact that these guys are rescuing her and she from the beginning is pretty much like well you've opened the door but you didn't do a whole lot of rescuing <laughs> and that's yeah as lo- a lot of comedic value but it also has a lot of character development yeah she even like points out you've done a good job i guess getting in here but did you even have a plan to get out like why why yeah. rescue me if, if you're gonna die in the process yeah so um anything else to add on this chunk before we get into the finale nope all right so we're going to take a real quick break here before we get into the epic conclusion of star wars episode four a new hope and welcome back so really only have the finale here the movie the battle of yavin uh for me this is probably the most iconic part of the movie um that first scene of the x-wings flying up to uh the death star with the with yavin the red planet in the background um is one of the first things i think of when i think of like one shots like one-off shots um in this movie um the soundtrack to this as well as like just the visual effects special effects 
the sound effects of the uh, fighters, both the TIE fighters and the X-Wings and the Y-Wings and the, the blast bolts, all the sound design stuff in here um, is awesome. I also love how the tension just kind of slowly builds as one by one by one, uh, the rebel fighters are being shot down uh, until only all you have is two or three left. I know Wedge and Luke, and I think there's maybe a Y-Wing left, but I don't even remember for sure. And even um, then, Wedge isn't there anymore because he's yeah, that's right. He's out of dodge. It's, he gets like he has to leave because, or he has to like at least leave the trench because he has a an issue. He gets shot at, at some point. Um, but what do you guys think, Riley? Uh, what is like your takeaways here for this like conclusion of the movie here? Well, to be honest, I'm probably gonna say the least about this part uh, sure. because um, I don't know. Uh, ever since i originally watched it my least favorite part has always been the space battles for any star wars um yeah i always prefer hand-to-hand combat or the storytelling moments because i well i think it's not it's not like i don't i i have a problem with action in general because uh i think there's a big difference of how star wars does action in space and how they do action on the ground yeah because with uh action in space it's more about the visual effects and the action on the ground is more storytelling moments Mm -hmm. and how they can still do dialogue a lot of the time that relates to the story uh but in the air it's more like giving commands of what to do and some people might like that uh it's just not for me because i i prefer the more uh storytelling beats while they're doing the combat or action yeah, I think I can mostly agree with you. I just like having that other flavor in there. Um, not that I, like, if I only had one or the other, I would miss the other one. I would miss the, the hand-to-hand stuff more. To me, the lightsabers and the Force is more Star Wars to me, and more than the military side of things. But I like having a little bit of both in there. Uh, but Carson, what about you? So um, I agree with a lot of the sentiment of what Riley had to say um it's my so this isn't a knock on this part of the movie because this part of the movie is so good Um, (laughs) it's a great finale um but it's my least it is my least favorite part of the movie um just in terms of like how the movie's divided up um but again that being said it's a phenomenal part of the movie the music the whole like i love the briefing scene and like the character moments um before they head off to the battle the stuff with han him leaving and then coming back is super cool. Um, I think that like shows that's really good characterization on his part. Cause up till now we've seen Han as this one stereotypical, like smuggler jerk dude um, who doesn't really care about those around him, but he's still very human. He is compassionate towards his friends um, comes back to help save the day. Um, so that, I love that part, um, the the sights, um, and like the again to reiterate the music in this part of the movie is so cool. Um, I'm trying to think of what it was. Oh, one thing I did want that kind of stood out to me was I that's cool on Luke's part is when he's kind of explaining to them how they're gonna have to shoot a proton torpedo down the exhaust shaft, and that's that's the weakness. Um, and how everybody's like discouraged by that. And he's, and they're all like, oh, this is impossible. I love that. It, that it's Luke who's like, 
um, the optimist in the room. And he's like, it's, it's about saying like, it's not impossible. I feel like that's kind of like an undertone theme in that scene of yeah. like um, not letting your circumstances kind of like overshadow like that you, that you can do it. Um, you have it in you that you worked on these skills, trust in yourself, think like the little layers to that and different like ways you can kind of analyze that. Um, that's, I really like that. Um, and so, I mean, this part of the movie, it's a little bit different than the other parts of the movie because it is so action oriented. Um, but one thing that I do really love, and it's kind of my last final point is I love how they kind of show you the time and they keep announcing it of like uh, when that star is in the perfect orbit um, to get the shot off. Cause I think they're the planet or the moon. I forget which one it is, is blocking the path. The planet is blocking the moon. Right. Okay. Um, Is blocking the path of that, of that the death star can shoot. So the death star has to like orient itself and get in the right spot. Um, And that, like that ticking, uh, of time is I really like that because it adds like adds a really nice sense of urgency so that's just something that's really small that I think um, is really well done I think on top of that um, counter that you see of the Death Star like moving into range you also get the uh, music beats that yeah. like it when especially when Luke is in the trench there's like the horns are like dunta dunta yeah dunta like it's almost like a heartbeat or a time timer like this is making you like worry like is this going to happen is he going to get there is it going to work out like and and uh they work together really well um i think one other thing in this section the entire movie does this really well but this section one thing that stands out to me is the set design um the like masasi temple or whatever it's supposed to be in canon where the base is at on yavin 4 is like really cool looking to me um the like rebel outfits the generals in their pilot uniforms and the different ship designs, the TIE fighter designs, all that stuff really stands out here. Because you don't get a ton of that up until the end of the movie year. Um, but really, like, the music is what really shines for me here. Because, um, like, like I was saying, with the horn, like, kind of beating towards the conclusion where Luke uh, does fire the torpedo and blow up the Death Star, but also, like, when Han shows up, part of what makes that moment powerful is the visual cue of like him coming up with the sun behind him, but, but also the music cue that like lets you know something good is happening right now. Uh, like John Williams, I mean, what can you say that hasn't been said, but um, this movie is one of the best soundtracks of all time, in my opinion. So, so uh, let's go to like overall, your overall takes and opinions on this movie as a whole as well as your score out of 10, um, like what would you score the movie out of 10? And just general overall opinion on uh, why you think this is, a, is from, what I'm, from, from what I'm getting from all of us, this is going to be a pretty high score for all of us, I think. So uh, let me know what you guys think overall. Riley, go ahead and start us off. Um, well, overall, uh, just to kind of wrap things up, this is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, number one of all time. Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I I like to split movies into different categories. Uh, I have a favorite movie and I have a best movie um, because I have personal uh, biases. I do that and, as well with stuff. Yeah. Nostalgia reasons. And overall, if you take all those factors into consideration, this is my favorite movie without a doubt. 
Um, although it has flaws here and there, uh, I like I said at the beginning of our review, I think the way it does basic storytelling is so good mm-hmm. that it doesn't need to stand out as being, oh, look at how they did this different or the, it innovated in this way. Although it does have innovations, just not in its basic storytelling. Uh, I think yeah. that um, even though I didn't talk about it a lot, uh, I think the soundtrack is uh, the best out of any movie I've ever seen. Uh, I I love John Williams. I think pretty much every single one of his Star Wars works has been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but four has is the best in my opinion. Uh, my favorite thing in all Star Wars is uh, the princess's theme. I think that one's great. Yeah. Um, That's other one of my than, favorites as well. Yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, the way it does storytelling is amazing. Soundtrack is the best. Uh, my personal bias towards this movie is very high. Uh, <laughs> uh, with all those factors, I love this movie. And I don't think there's any way other I can put it. All right. What about a score out of 10? Um, I do scoring is a little bit different, but uh, in basic uh, synopsis, probably like a 7.5 out of 10. Yeah. And for the, uh, for just for like reference in terms of to give people context on how you score things out of 10, what would you give um, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith? Just real quick. Uh, real quick. Uh, okay. So to explain my rating system, I have positive and negative numbers. They all go up to 10, uh, negative numbers, like a negative 10 and a positive 10 are both equal. Uh, it's, it's more like a U shape rather than a spiral downward to the negative numbers. So, uh, like, um, I, I think, uh, negative numbers would be, uh, movies like the room where it's like so bad but so good at the same time and um a lot of the prequels i think are negative so uh (laughs) phantom netis i think is uh a normal five uh actually attack of the clones (laughs) this is this sounds really hypocritical of me to say this but attack of the clones is like just as good as the original star wars in my opinion uh but as a negative well, <laughs> so like basically it's a bad movie but you enjoy it so much as a bad movie that it's basically I, yeah, as I enjoyable wish, i wish i could explain this more but I, <laughs> maybe i should save that for another time this is, this is a youtube video that riley needs to make and not explained on a podcast with no yeah. audio with no visuals yeah I don't, I don't think you need the visuals i okay i won't take i won't take very much time but uh uh, and then uh revenge of the sith is uh another five just fine so on a on on a typical zero to ten clearly you prefer a new hope as you've already said yes uh, <laughs> great carson what about you man riley i love it <laughs> <laughs> um so overall thoughts on this movie um this is i agree with a lot of the things that riley said um in this whole podcast um but especially in his overarching like ideas and how he it's his favorite star wars movie um i think this might be my favorite movie as well i would really have to think about it 
um but i think it might be my favorite movie as well um the what i this movie does well it to me it has really no flaws um that are at least flaws that bother me um obviously it does have flaws but it doesn't really have any things that bother me um or take away from the experience um so there's that the i it is my i agree uh that it is um in terms of being like my favorite star wars track um it has like so many great moments on top of the score uh so so many of my favorite star wars moments like the luke um, binary sunset as the force theme plays um, i cannot watch that scene and not get chills um mm-hmm. yeah and so just love that so much um and it does big things really well like pacing uh storytelling i love that this movie stands on its own and is a complete cohesive unit of a story i love the pacing of this movie it starts fast um it ends fast and it but you still get to breathe in the middle um uh so that's one example of like a bigger thing that it does well even the smaller things that it does well like when you're on tatooine like the music um i i know i've already given the score it's due diligence but even something that always stands out to me is that i love and i don't know why but when i think of this movie one of the things that i think of is honestly it's one of the most insignificant parts but it's the sound of the um that of the score that john williams wrote for the sand people Mm -hmm. and in the little moments of the movie and the little crevices of the movie that they little pockets that might be five minutes long but that that like the sights and sounds of this movie always hit perfectly. Um, and because everything in this movie hits perfectly for me and it nothing in this movie bothers me in the least little bit, I give it a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I don't think uh, I can really add anything else onto this. So I'm just going to say I would also give it a 10 out of 10. Um, if you made me... Um, like give a different number to each Star Wars movie to like separate them. It is not my number one Star Wars movie, but I think it deserves the score I'm giving it. Uh, and to recap, for those of you that have been following us through the Star Wars movies so far, um, I gave Phantom Menace a six, um, Attack of the Clones a five, and Revenge of the Sith a seven. And Carson, what were your scores there? I think mine was like a 6.5 for Phantom Menace, a 7 for Attack of the Clones, an 8 for Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And and I do want to explain that like the 6 of Phantom Menace jump to the 8, like the two points of going from like 6-ish um, to 8 is a lot easier of a jump than making that 8 to 10 jump. It's funny how uh, rankings work because technically yeah. you ranked uh, Revenge of the Sith higher than I ranked A New Hope. Yeah. It's just something <laughs> funny to think about. Yeah. It's, just, it's just all relative to yeah. how you view it. Like if you do it kind of like how this American education system does their grades, like basically it's a one to five, not a one to 10, right? Like, an A is a nine, a nine to a ten, a B is an eight to a nine, you know, so on down the line. But once you get to the five, the F, you don't you have five numbers beneath that for some reason. Um, so like there's a lot of room at the bottom half of that scale. And I think that most people 
because that's been so ingrained in them um, that like uh, a six is bad and a five is bad because that is a D and an F. Yeah, uh, I, we, we, try, we, we try to avoid that. That's where I save uh, my sub uh, failing grades. I save that for Rogue One. <laughs> Whoa! Hot takes coming oh, in. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm messing around, but kind of, not really. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're done. Well, we're all finished here. So, <laughs> uh, I just want to, before we go, just want to thank you guys for joining me. Carson, we're almost halfway there. Ooh. We're almost done. Riley, first appearance will not be the last. We need to have you on to talk about, not. we need to be on to talk about video games or movies or other stuff. So, I'm sure we'll uh, be back on here sometime soon talking about something else vitally important like Star Wars movies. But, Thank you for taking some time to, to join us for, you know, an hour and a half here. Um, you, do you guys have anything to plug? Anything you want to, like, shout out here before we head out? Riley? Well, yeah, uh, I have a YouTube channel, and yeah. I have uh, a Spotify for my band. Oh, nice. Uh, YouTube is uh, lots of bugs, no caps, no spaces. Uh, <laughs> you can check me out on YouTube or Instagram at that handle. Uh you could also check me out on Spotify. Um, my band name is Easy Trip. Uh, just nice. two words. So, yeah. Perfect. Sounds like an easy thing to find. Technically, right. I do have an Instagram, but I do not use it. Yeah. Like, basically, all you use it to do is like the post that I tag you in from the podcast. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> all right. Speaking of Instagram, though, uh, you can follow the podcast here. Uh, on Instagram at shady underscore Buffalo underscore podcast. I'll be posting some things kind of getting your opinion on um, a new hope as I have with other topics we've been talking about, but I do want to take a second to uh, thank all the listeners that we've had so far. Um, as this is being filmed, we've only, I've only aired three episodes and the trailer and the fourth episode is coming out very shortly. And um, the response has not been like, um, like massive, I did, did not expect it to be, but there's been consistent um, listeners, and I want to thank all of you that are listening uh, every week. I kind of expected it to be to have you know five to ten every week, but it maybe not always be the same people because some people might not like certain topics. Um, but it seems to be a pretty consistent like ten to twenty people, and um, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate the interactions on Instagram, the feedback we're getting. Um, we just finished up the MCU stuff a couple weeks ago with a tier list and seeing some people's opinions on movies and just having some interactions there um, has been really fun. So I want to thank you for taking some time to listen uh, to some random people's thoughts on random topics like Star Wars. But um, I think that's all I really need to say. So thank you for joining us, my guests, and thank you, listeners, for joining us this week. Uh, I, I do again look forward to hearing you on from you on Instagram. Um, I want to know what you think about A New Hope. So again, at Shady underscore Buffalo underscore podcast is where you can do that. And with that, we will talk to you next week.
Nice. We did it, everyone.